0: Let's go to the Lord and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Truly Lord, you are the rock of ages, a cleft for us. Lord as we sing those songs it makes us think of our desire to be with you and to see you as Moses cried out that he would long to see you. But nobody that sees you can live as your glory would be so overwhelming. And so you showed your back as you passed him by, but you put him in that cleft. And Lord, you have found a great place for us in Christ that we one day will be able to look upon you because of the work of your dear son. And Lord, we thank you for what he has done for us on the cross of Calvary and paying the penalty for our sin and freeing us, Lord, as we have Prayed just a few moments ago that you would forgive us our sin and that we can be assured that we are pardoned before you because of the work of the gospel. It's good news that we can come before you singing because of what you have done. And truly, in the words of the other song, how great is our God, there's no one like you. So Lord, we are before you today. And none of us deserves that attention but you. And so we come to you thanking you for who you are the glorious one, the one who inhabits eternity, the one who the angels worship day in and day out, the one who uh, inhabits eternity in such a way that, Lord, one day we will join those voices as with every generation that has gone before us. And so, Lord, we ask that you would teach us today, that you would um, change us, that we would walk out of here different than when we came in, And Father, we know that you are working through your word. Your word is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to go down to the to split the joints in the morrow. We know that it's able to do with us what we are unable to do for ourselves. And by the work of your spirit, draw us to you. And so we pray that you would do that and draw sinners to yourself. Lord, that you would uh, teach us and shape us and mold us according to your word, we pray. Father, we lift up other churches as well. We don't just pray for ourselves. We lift up um, uh, not just um, this church, but Lord, we also pray for Bald Mountain this morning, other churches in our community that you would work in and through them, that Lord, you would make the gospel uh, known through Bald Mountain, that you would be with its pastors, Lord, and that you would continue to work uh, in and through them in this community. Father, we pray, too, that you would be um, with the um, Reformed Baptist Network that we're a part of. Lord, that you would work in and through them. Uh, Lord, we pray for uh, Grace Baptist Church in uh, Lafayette, uh, New Jersey this morning, that you would be with them and that you would make yourself known amongst them and their um, congregation today, that you would equip them and uh, use them, Lord, powerfully in their community. Father, we lift up the persecuted church Um, in Malaysia today, uh, that you would be uh, with them. Uh, Lord, we know that our brothers and sisters are in chains in many places around the world, suffering for the gospel, Uh, some of them being put to death. And Lord, we ask that you would help them to stand firm. God, forgive us for uh, not being um, just brought to a soberness of spirit many times in the Western world because we're used to our freedoms and we're used to being able to meet without uh, violence um, in our communities. And we ask that, Lord, you would give us humility there to pray for our persecuted brethren and to make ourselves uh, educated about their persecution. And so help us, we pray. Father, we pray for those that have never heard of your name. It's amazing 2,000 years after you came and that you have sent your disciples out generation after generation. There's many on this planet that still have never heard of you. And so we pray, Lord, for the Berber people of North Africa that are in Morocco and then in Libya and other places in North Africa, that that language group desperately needs you, Lord, that you would send missionaries to them, that the scriptures would be translated uh, into their languages. And Lord, we pray that they would hear your gospel We know that they've been influenced by Islam and other um, just religions, Lord. But we pray that, Lord, your gospel would go forth. At one time, your gospel permeated North Africa. And we pray that you would do it again through this um, generation of believers. That, Lord, you would send missionaries to them. God, we pray for the war in Ukraine. And, Lord, that you would accomplish your purposes but show your grace at the same time. We know that you told us that there would be wars and we know how devastating they are and how horrible they are for those involved. God, would you show your grace to those fighting, that Lord, you would speak to them and, and draw them to yourself, that you would bring both Russians and Ukrainians to Christ through this conflict, that you would be with the church in both countries to um, be with those uh, in, in those nations that are desperately seeking for you, and that Lord, you would bring uh, the peace that passes understanding even in the midst of a war zone and so you would we, we pray that you would do that Lord we continue to pray for Turkey and Syria as they overcome this uh, these these horrible odds um, in the wake of the earthquake and uh, father that you would help them to rebuild which no doubt will take years but we pray that you would relieve their suffering uh, their immediate suffering with food and water um, but that you would equip missionaries and first responders um that are going from many organizations, that they would uh, be um, just sharing the gospel, Lord, that they would come to know you. And uh, so we we pray that you would continue to, to work there, Lord, in the midst of um, multiple weeks now um, of recovery. And so we pray for the infrastructure and all the things happening in those countries that, Lord, you would accomplish your work. Father, we pray for those in Mississippi, um, the families that have lost loved ones uh, just this weekend and uh, the terrible storms that ripped through there, that, Lord, you would show your grace, you would give wisdom to um, emergency personnel, uh, Lord, that you would uh, help survivors to be found if there are some stuck still. We pray for your grace for the families that have lost loved ones that you would bind their hearts up, Lord, that you would call the church to respond in those areas and to offer much hope. God, we pray for uh, refugees around the world that are fleeing situations, that you would be gracious to them and provide for them. Lord, for those that are grieving. uh, Lord, for those that are sick, we praise you for Joy's recovery. Lord, after surgery this week and that you're continuing to work uh, in her life and uh, bringing healing to her. So we pray that you would help her gain strength each day. Father, for others that are sick or under the weather or traveling, we pray that you would be with them. Lord, for our expectant mothers, we thank you for them and um, being able to see some um, just uh, showers coming up here in April for them and just this uh, expectancy and the excitement that fills the air with new babies in this congregation. So we ask that you would be with them and Lord, that you would be with their babies, that Lord, you would bring Um, just uh, a healthy end to their pregnancies and and a safe delivery, and Lord, that we might rejoice with them. Father, we pray for um, a church plant down in Wilkesboro, Christ Alone. We thank you for uh, Tim and his continued labors there. We pray that you would help them as they uh, look to get into this new building, that you would provide for them, Lord, as uh, they give an update tonight um, uh, for Vision Night this evening, that you would uh, just encourage us all about what you're doing um, in and through uh, this church, but also through Christ alone. And so now, Lord, as we turn attention to your word, would you be lifted up and glorified as we uh, continue our study, Lord, in, in Genesis. And so we ask for your help, we pray, that we would apply it to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. I'm glad to see each one of you, and it's good to be together, is it not? It's good to be um, together and looking um, at God's word together, uh, continuing our study in Genesis. Hard to believe that we're already in chapter 10, and uh, really a transition here between the generation of Noah into the call of Abraham that we'll see in a few chapters. Uh, but we're going to look at chapter 10, and we're actually going to look at the whole chapter um, and really take a look at three different aspects uh, of, of the reason that Genesis chapter 10 is given to us. So would you stand with me as we read God's word together? These are the words of the living God. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Ripheth, and Togmarah. And the sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim. From these, the Coastland people spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans in their nations." The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Rama, and Sebtekah. The sons of Ramah, Sheba, and Dedan. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on the earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, Kelna, in the land of Shinar. From that land he went into Assyria but, and built Nineveh, Rehoboth-ir, Kala, and Rezin, between Nineveh and Kala, that is the great city. Egypt fathered Ludim, Anamim, Lahabim, Naphturhim, Parushim. Has-Luhim, from whom the Philistines came, and the Kafterim, Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn, Heth, and the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Gergashites, the Hivites, the Arkites, the Sinites, the Arvadites, the Zemorites, and the Hamathites. Afterwards, the clans of the Canaanites dispersed, and the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon to the direction of Gerar as far as Gaza in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim, as far as Lasha. These are the sons of Ham, from their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. To Shem also, the father of the children of Eber, the elder brother of Japheth, children were born. The sons of Shem, Elam, Ashur, Arpachshad, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram, Uz, Hol, Gether and Mash Archpakshad fathered Shela, and Shela fathered Eber. To Eber were born two sons. The name of the one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. Joktan fathered Almodad, Shelpha, Hazmavath, Jera, Hadaram, Uzal, Dikla, Obal, Abimele, Sheba. Orphil, Havilah, Jobab, all these were sons of Joktan. The territory in which they lived extended from Mesha, in the direction of Sephar to the hill country of the east. And these are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. These are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies, in their nations, and from these nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. So as we embark in chapter 10, we actually see a division here, a, um, a carrying on of what the author of Genesis is saying, Moses, is wanting us to see a clear transition between the generation of Noah and on to what we will see in the days ahead. You might look at a passage like this, perhaps if you're reading with us on our Bible reading um, schedule, that you get to genealogies and you cough and you go to the end of the chapter and you just pretend like the Lord didn't see that. But he did and he wants you to read them. Also, the point of this message is not for you expectant mothers to find a name for your precious child in the midst of this passage. Thirdly, this is not an unimportant passage in the context of what we've been looking at. And so my great job this morning is not just to stumble over names that have gone before us, but to see the connection to the larger view of not just Genesis, but the entire Bible. And I want to walk you through this to help you see that these genealogies are of great value. In fact, it sets apart the scriptures from fairy tales. These are real people with real lives that God used in their generation to bring about the nations of the world. So you think that's unimportant, even for those in anthropology, they ought to spend time On this genealogy, because these are the seventy that came out of Noah. And if you counted all these up, there's seventy names here. Now, when you see that in scripture, it's a completeness to this list. It's not an exhaustive list, if you notice. But there's a purpose in it, and that's what we want to look at this morning. So I want to do this in three ways. I want to make mention, first of all, about inspiration of Scripture, why it's important to not just read a passage like this, but to study it to the glory of God, because God has something for us in that. Remember the passages in the New Testament that remind us that all Scripture is inspired, otherwise known as God-breathed for our good and for our education And for our training in righteousness. So God has something for us in this. Secondly, I want to look at the generations here. There's an important note that we need to look at here as far as why um, Moses mentions these names. And then thirdly, I want to pay attention to the dispersion that is happening that sets us up for looking at chapter 11 with Babel and what God wanted for the people of the earth in those generations, but also led to rebellion once again. So we'll look at all these things and then make some application by the end of our time together. So let's take a look at this. First of all, when we consider a passage like this, I chose the title Providence and progeny. And why? Because, yes, you see a lot of names, and we need to pay attention to those, but also that God is providentially working in and through the generations following Noah to accomplish his purpose. If we go back to the beginning of Genesis, we see a great, great creation, a great God who has spoken all things into existence that wants to be made known, that wants to be made much of, that is on display. Our great philosophers of today say that God is hiding. And why would he go so far as to not expose himself? In fact, he has. He makes himself known in his great works. He makes himself known in these latter days through his son. And he definitely makes himself known in his word when we take the time to look for him there. And so when we look at the text here, we see something that we need to realize from a a 10,000 foot level that this passage is inspired by God and is useful for us. It should not be ignored. If you struggle with reading that because you can't even pronounce the names, it's okay. It also shows, as we'll make application towards the end of our time together today, that God sees all people and all cultures in in a great way that he has created, showing his um, power and his work amongst all the peoples of the earth. And so it speaks to its inspiration. The scriptures are not invented. They were inspired. And so God gave these words to Moses and he wrote them down. Many think that these were written down while he was on Sinai. And so he recorded these things and he recorded these generations. And it also gives the very beginnings which Genesis means to help the people of God understand from where they came, who they are, and where they were going. And the scriptures are very clear about this, about who God is and what he's up to. Notice here in the text that we see that it's very also, it's, it's structured. It also shows that God has a, a point in that. Look at verse two, for instance. He starts with the sons of Japheth. And then if you uh, let your eyes go down to verse six, the sons of Ham, And then if you go down a little bit further to verse 21, to Shem. So he's taking these three sons of Noah and he's showing really in a formatted way of who came from them and ultimately what nations came from them. Now, why would God do that? Well, by way of inspiration, we see that God's purpose is to make known not just who these individuals are as far as their identity but what God is going to do through these nations, ultimately, not just in the context of Genesis, but what these uh, clans and these nations and these languages would mean all the way into the uh, coming of the Son of God one day. And so when we look at this, we see great effort towards um, structure. If you see not just in these generations, but after each one, notice starting in verse five. Um, it tells us where the people came from, out of that clan or those uh, that son of Noah, but how it spread to its lands. Notice the the structure here: their lands, their language, their clans, and ultimately their nations. So you see that in verse five, at the end of the sons of Ham. You see it in verse twenty: sons of Ham by their clans, languages, their lands, and their nations, and then. Finally, in verse 31, you see that with Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. You might be thinking, well, what do you mean languages? Well, he's summarizing what he's about to explain in chapter 11, which we'll look at next week. And then he wraps it all up in verse 32, and he says that the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies in their nations, and from these nations they spread abroad on the earth after the flood. Now, it's also interesting in the sense of inspiration of Scripture that genealogies are also important in a general way for us. First of all, there's no other people of God that have such a tight genealogy than the Jewish people. As you follow not only in Scripture the generations, you can follow them all the way from Adam to Noah, from Noah to Abraham, from Abraham ultimately to Jesus. And even from there, while we don't have detailed uh, genealogies, we see that God takes time even in the New Testament to mention individuals' names as far as the whole of the clan or the group of people. For us as the people of God, we'll make application here towards the end too, that we all come out of every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so God is very uh, multicultural in the way that he is working in every nation, tribe, and tongue, which is why he called us to take the gospel to every nation, tribe, and tongue. And so there's a new humanity that is being birthed here that we'll see also In these ways so inspiration wise we ought to be encouraged that God gave it to us and so next time you're you're tempted to just be bogged down by a list of names like this or when you get to first chronicles may God have mercy on you to read through that section and maybe throw in some psalms as well while you're working through that section so you don't miss what God has Lastly, if you notice here in the context of chapter 10, that several different, um, at several different points, God points out some significant details in each of these uh, generations. Notice, for instance, that he brings up Nimrod in verse 9, that he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Now, we don't know a lot about Nimrod, but he's mentioned here in Scripture, and it sets up, we see in verse 10, that this was the beginning of the kingdom of Babel which we're going to get to in chapter 11. So it's, it's setting us up for that. Secondly, if you look down and you see how it's mentioned about Peleg down in verse 25, um, the sons of Eber, the children of Eber are important. And we'll come back to that. That in his days, the earth was divided and his brother's name was Joktan. By the way, that's my favorite name in this passage. So if you moms are looking for a baby name, Joktan, that should be your first choice. So notice here in the context that he is bringing out something with all these individuals, that there's something that he wants them to see. Even the parentheses that we see concerning the Kaftarim and how they're related to the Philistines. Do you see any connections here? Well, we want to look at it at this level because what you're looking at is really an outline of all the people groups that will ultimately come in contact with God's people through the rest of the book of Genesis, let alone on into the history of Israel. Just, just, just survey it once again, and you see that these are some of the nations that the people of Israel are going to conquer one day in the land of Canaan. And that will fulfill the very curse that we see that Noah uh, brought to uh, Canaan at the end of chapter 9. Secondly, we're also going to see that these names are these uh, nations that ultimately that God would use for his purposes. You think about Assyria. That should get your mind into those that would conquer uh, God's people uh, based upon the curses that come out of Deuteronomy 28 and 29. So the 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 rest of the Old Testament is really chronicled right here in this passage. Notice too, if you look at verse 19, the Uh, The direction that some of the Canaanites went to were towards Sodom and Gomorrah. So the author of uh, Genesis, Moses, is writing these things down that ultimately things that would happen even after Moses died would come to pass. God's judgment, God making himself known amongst the nations. Have you ever realized that God is not just a God of the locale of the Middle East, and while we know that this is where these spread from, God is passionate about his people, particularly those he's created, to spread abroad. This was his desire. It's glorifying to him, and why is that important? Well, God is glorified in every culture, nation, tribe, and tongue. And every culture certainly has been swayed by sin and sold under sin. And so there's aspects of every culture that are sinful, but we also see God gloriously displayed in his work amongst every tribe, tongue, and nation. And ultimately, God would repopulate the earth as we saw at the end of chapter 9. This was his plan. So it's not just inspiration, but secondly, let us consider the generations. Now, just at, again, a view of how God is working, when we look at names like this in a genealogy, I think it's important for us to realize that God takes time to give detail in his word. If there's nothing else that should uh, show us his grace, it's that he sees our face in the crowd. He sees that God is working we, we see that he's working in the midst of individuals as well as his corporate providential plan in the nations. We can take encouragement from this this morning that while God knows every name of every individual that lives on this earth, we know that he also sees us. We know that he cares about us. He knows your name. He knows that what he's going to accomplish in and through your life. And so while he's involved in the details of our life, he's also a God that sees and is providentially uh, moving all things to his ends for his glory because he is God. And so we see this in the midst of the generation. So let's take these three generations that, that chapter 10 is spread down to, in Japheth and with um, Ham and then with Shem, and we'll make some uh, uh, observations here. So first of all, notice structure-wise. We don't have to read through every name once again, but I want to show you kind of some, some bullet points. If you look in verse 1, notice that the author is wanting to bring our attention to the generations, plural, of the sons of Noah. So he wants us to see that the sons of Noah were these, um, this, this fork, if you will, in the human genealogy to bring about his purposes and notice it says, sons were born to them after the flood. Now, generally speaking, genealogies covered the, uh, from father to son. It, it shows the male lineage, which I think is really interesting in this context because we even see this in the, as, we, as we peeked at the uh, genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, that it follows uh, the line of David. But there's also women mentioned in these genealogies throughout the scriptures. But the purpose of Moses here writing about Noah's generations was to show this line of the the birth of these sons that they would ultimately uh, make these people groups that would spread over the course of the world following Babel, which we'll get to again next week. So if you see here, he's speaking ultimately of Noah at the top. And then secondly, he begins to break these down. Now, the sons of Japheth. If you notice these names, it gives you an idea of really how they spread over the course of the world. We see the sons of Japheth. Uh, You can probably pick out some names there from ancient history and how these really were spreading to the east of what we now know as um, uh, Turkey and Syria. Uh, remember the uh, ark settled at Ararat, which was uh, in the northern part of the Middle East. Uh, many uh, argue that that's not the same Ararat as of today. Well, regardless of what that, if that is the case, it was somewhere in this region because we know that Babel was also built in that region and was on the uh, in the geographical location of what we would call present-day Iraq. And so this is important to consider because these end up forming the tribes and the nations of what we would now see as Asia Minor and going east. And then, so he lists these, and then notice in verse 5, he pauses these name lists, and he says, from these coastland peoples spread in their lands, each to his own language. Again, if you any uh, study in anthropology, you'll find many things, that when people are settling anywhere, they settle towards where there's going to be food, obviously, and water. And so these are the people that settled along the coastlands, and it's summed up that they um, were in these areas. So you would consider all the uh, amounts of bodies of water in that area of the world, not just from the Mediterranean, but to what we would know now as the Black Sea, and other bodies of water to the north um, that were uh, in existence at that time now we have very little uh, information here from the scriptures and so I'm not uh, you know going to to speak to that but when you study uh, even geology uh, it's interesting to think about the changes that the earth physically went under after a global flood so uh, it's interesting to note that as the population grew that they had to spread out for the purpose of not just provision, but not being on top of each other in the sense of uh, in one place. While they desired to do that, God was asking them to spread out. So then, and look at verse 6. He now goes to the sons of Ham, and notice these names, some of them up to the present we would be familiar with, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. So that's what we would say is really what uh, we would call Palestine today, and then uh, uh, North Africa, and we know if we follow these genealogies throughout the scriptures, let alone in um, human anthropology, this is ultimately the, the start of uh, the African continent, let alone uh, West Asia. So it's important to to notice those, uh, that these the history of these go way back. So he mentions here now that Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on the earth to be a mighty man, in some of your Bibles, uh, that can also be translated that he began to be a mighty man on the earth, and so the the uh, the attention grabs here because the people of Israel would have had connection with hearing these stories from a verbal standpoint up to this point, point. and notice that he's known for being a mighty hunter before the Lord, so. Uh, perhaps this, we, we don't know details from this passage, but perhaps he was known for, for what we, uh, as kind of the father of one who, who hunts. Uh, others have uh, offered their uh, opinions that perhaps he was the one that was conquering or bringing animals into subjection after the flood that may have um, uh, what we would call wild beasts and sought to tame them. So but either way, he's known as a hunter before the Lord. But uh, the beginning notice of his kingdom, the reason he's mentioned here is verse 10. It's the purpose of showing us that he started the kingdom of Babel that we will uh, look at in the weeks ahead. That they were um, not wanting to obey the Lord and spread out, but to build a name for themselves. And so this is the sons of Ham that, uh, from the sons of Ham that begin this. Then look at verse 11. Notice another great nation, that he went into Assyria and built Nineveh. Now, Where does Nineveh and Assyria show up in the scriptures? Well, we see that in the development um, of uh, really the nation that would ultimately bring judgment against the northern tribes of Israel later on in uh, their history. And then we also see Nineveh as a capital there, uh, made popular by the prophet Jonah, who was called to go to them and uh, called to them to repent. And they did uh, to Jonah's dismay, if you remember. And so really you see the bits of the Old Testament just all in minor form here. And so then if you look down in verse 12, it says, Rezin between, between Nineveh and Kala, this is the great city. And so great cities were populated very quickly after the flood. They were organizing, they were, they were building together. And you can imagine the ideas that were coming to pass, some of which that we see the, the great um, uh, ideas and even architecture that came out of this period. You even consider uh, Egypt, as we saw earlier um, in verse 6. Uh, perhaps at this time, this is when Um, some of the foundations of that great nation uh, formed. So then from there, we also see generationally wise that uh, Egypt and all of its clans in verse 13 are all mentioned there. Even the Philistines who would be enemies of God's people on throughout uh, the uh, Old Testament. And then it brings our attention to Canaan. And we know that Canaan was mentioned in chapter 9 as receiving the curse for Ham's sin. And really, the, uh, the curse following through there is that he would ultimately be in subjection to his brothers. And we know this was pro- prophetic, first of all, between what we will see um, when Abraham is called out of this uh, area to go ultimately one day to the land of Canaan 400 years later through his offspring. And so God has a plan here. He is working these things for his purposes. But also pay attention to some of the enemies of God. In verse 16, we will see the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Gergashites, the Hivites, the Arkites, and the Sinites, Av- uh, Arvadites, Arvadites, the, the Zemorites and the uh, Hamathites are all clans that were in Canaan at the time of Joshua's conquest of Canaan. These are all ones that God was going to ask to destroy from the face of the earth. And so all these tribes would soon go extinct. But notice in verse um, uh, 19, it also mentions the territory of the Canaanites from Sidon down to Gerar as far as Gaza in the direction of Sodom and Gomorrah, and the Zeboim as far as Lasha. Again, these were going to be areas that were conquered, um, but even in the time of Sodom and Gomorrah, prior to the the lives of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were in existence prior to that point, even though they're infamous for their sin. And then in verse 20, it says, again, by way of summation, that these sons of Ham, and by their clans, their languages, and their lands, and their nations... So we've looked at Japheth, we've looked at Ham. Now finally, let's look at Shem and his generations as we walk through this again. Notice the attention that are brought to the children of Eber, the elder brother of Japheth. Um, These children were born. Now notice that Shem is identified as the oldest here. And to the sons of Shem, he mentions uh, his offspring here and the sons of Aram in verse 23. And then he brings attention to uh, Shelah, who fathered Eber. And then notice Eber is brought up because he is famous here in verse 25 for his two sons, Peleg and Joktan. Now, we don't know exactly what it means by the earth being divided, but many uh, speak of Peleg in the sense of, in his days, the earth really spread out based upon these divisions. Now, these could have been uh, disagreements. It could have, we know this is prior to Babel, and so they are developing their own uh, cultures even into their grandchildren, uh, or great-grandchildren rather, of Noah. So just in one full uh, multiple generation, we see great uh, population increase, and also we see diversity amongst the peoples of the earth. And this is prior to uh, Babel, because we know in chapter 11, verse one, it says that the whole earth had one language and the same words. And we'll talk about migration and all that as we see here, uh, the land of Shinar is mentioned in verse two of chapter 11. So not to lose you here, let's take a breather. We've looked at the inspiration of why genealogies are important, the specifics of this um, uh, genealogy in its connection to the rest of Genesis, let alone the rest of Scripture. Then we've looked at these generations and looked at some of these details. But last of all, let's look at the dispersion. So going back to chapter 9, we see that Noah ultimately um, was called by God to um, obviously uh, reestablish what uh, humanity would accomplish, but also that they would uh, repopulate the earth. If you look back to God's covenant with Noah, notice he speaks to his covenant uh, with the earth at the end of chapter eight. And then in chapter nine, it says that God blessed Noah and his sons. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Does that ring a bell? to other earlier parts of Genesis. Well, absolutely, it's always been God's call for the uh, human race to populate and to grow, that he himself is glorified in the creation of his image bearers. Remember from chapter three that it says that man was created in God's image. He talked about the crown of his creation in difference to all of the animal kingdom that he has made much of when we look at the human race we see something of the image of God of course we know from the fall that image is marred but i think what we need to pause here for a minute and see that even in the diversity of the peoples that are spreading over the face of the earth that god is at the very root of that diversity that God created that from the genetics of that to how he uh, creates these these nations out of these families. We spoke previously about the flood of Noah and how much genetic material was lost or DNA that you would imagine was destroyed in the flood. And so God is repopulating the earth from this point. This is also a passage that would lead us to uh, a consideration that the flood was in more recent history perhaps as early as 2400 BC and this helps us to understand how the world can populate quickly following a disastrous event such as this but we also see too that in the midst of all of the uh, sinful ways of men that god is accomplishing his providential purposes in spreading his people across the earth. He is the God of the nations. He always has been. He doesn't show favoritism to a certain group of people. He is glorified in the multicultural feel. And we will notice this in heaven one day when Revelation speaks to this as well, that out of the mass of people, he is choosing a people for himself, notice, from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so when we read the scriptures, heaven's gonna be a whole lot different than maybe what we think. It's not just gonna be a comfortable Western feel, but it's gonna be a representation of all nations, tribes, and tongues that God desires to work in such a way in every nation, tribe, and tongue. And so we want people to understand what God is doing Because what the very final thing we want to look at this morning is that he has a global plan. He has a plan, as Habakkuk says, to be made known in all of the earth. As we'll see in chapter 11, mankind pushes against this. They don't want him to be known. They want to be made known. And the same is true for us this morning. Many of us want to be made known. We want to make a name for ourselves. I'm reading some articles this week about this very thing in this generation, that there is an increase exponentially of people who are trying to gain a following from themsel- for themselves on things like Instagram or TikTok. And they find their worth and their value about how many people are following them, how much attention they're getting. And they're focused on this in such a way that even some great falls have happened in the midst of Uh, A a variety of interest groups. There's one individual that even committed suicide last year because another TikToker had gained all of his fans and had swarmed from one format to the other and to follow this individual in his interests. What we find value in is important. The great A.W. Tozer in generations past has said, what we think about God is the most important thing about us. And in a passage like this, it's important for us as the people of God to not just gloss over a genealogy, but to see that God has a global plan, but yes, we are a part of it. That he is working things for his glory that we cannot see at times. We don't understand why our generation is the way that it is, but we will one day understand God's plan in human history. And so it brings us some questions to ourselves. What is it that God would have for us to take away here from Genesis chapter 10? First of all, I think we need to see his providence. We need to see that God is working through every nation, every individual to accomplish his ultimate goals. His ultimate goals. Secondly, we need to look at progeny here, not just in a earthly way, but in a spiritual way. Why would I say that? Because it seems like there's nothing of spiritual value in a genealogy such as this. Well, the Lord is wanting to pay uh, close attention to these genealogies because it's from these earthly genealogies that he's gonna pluck a people for himself. A specific group of people for his dear sake to make his name known amongst the nations. So you'll see this happen in Genesis in multiple ways. We see this, we saw this with Adam and he took out we see from the the sons of Adam we come to Noah. And then from here we see all the nations represented and from there he's going to pluck Abram out who was actually um, not following after the Lord and God chose him and and spoke to him and revealed himself to him. And from Abraham he works through Jacob and from Jacob to the twelve tribes of Israel. And from the twelve tribes he's going to pluck Judah and from Judah, he's going to build a people for himself into the people of God that we know of as Israel and Judah. To one to live in the north, one to live in the south, that these nations would ultimately be taken into captivity because of their disobedience to the Lord. And from there, our Messiah would be born in the fullness of time, as uh, Galatians says, that Jesus himself would not be a king, an earthly king that they thought the Messiah would be, but he would bring new birth to people that he chose in the context of spiritual regeneration. And from them, he's going to build a people that we know in the New Testament as the church. And this church is going to be representative of all of humanity, a new creation that is going to bring much glory to him. And then the end will come and forever these tribes and these people will be praising him forever. God's desire is not just for these individuals to be with him in a heavenly sense. We know from Revelation 20 and 21, he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth in which these people will dwell forever. So we can't look at a passage like this and say it's not important. Genealogies are extremely important. It tells us about the heart of God. It talks about his plan. It's all revealed right here before our eyes. Lastly, I think a way of application is not just God's providence and not just his his progeny that we see, but lastly, we see his purpose. We see his heart for all people. His heart for all people. The propagation of the gospel to a lost and dying world. It's not just that he um, chooses some and, and casts the others aside. Notice that he clearly displays his glory amongst the nations, even though he ultimately will single these out. We know that he says in the next generation after uh, Abram, Esau, I've loved, or Jacob, I've loved, Esau, I've hated, we'll see that, that he does single them out. But we also see that he is going to bring a remnant in the gospel from all of these tribes. It's important for us to see that, that while we look at the context of this, that we as the people of God in the Western world need to realize that he's raising up a people for himself from other nations. And this should set our eyes to the gospel. What is he wanting us to do as his church? Just one small church in West Jefferson, North Carolina. What is our goals compared to all of the churches in the world today? It's to make disciples of all nations. We would make disciples of everyone that he brings to himself. And so the burning question is, Lord, how is it that I can be part of that remnant that you are creating this spiritual people that will be saved from their sin, that will be given the very character of God, that will be being taken out of the depths of sin and given new life. Well, there's two aspects that we see in the lives of everyone here in the Old Testament, let alone in the New Testament, and those two characteristics that we see that God works in those that are his are repentance and faith. These sons of Noah, we don't have lists of their spiritual decisions, but we know from Noah that he feared God, that he was a righteous man. And while we looked at this last week, that he was certainly a sinner and, and became drunk as we saw in verse 21 last week, he certainly was being used in the providence of God. But the issue is, are we people of repentance? Repentance. Do you look at this great God and all that he is accomplishing in the world and you say, what is my life worth? In fact, the great confessions of church history speak to this issue. What is the, the, the purpose of man? It's to glorify God and to enjoy him. But we can't enjoy him without repentance. We can't enjoy him when, unless we get behind his ultimate plan rather than making a name for ourselves like we'll see in chapter 11. Are you making a name for yourself? Are you getting weary in doing so, whether you are a child or whether you are in your latter years? Are you focused on what you can get out of life and what the world says is successful? Are you giving attention to what humans think that is the most important and yet our own lives can be snatched from us this very day? Or are you humbly acknowledging and submitting to this great God, who is not only the creator of the heavens and the earth, as we've seen in Genesis, but the creator of all families of the earth, that he individually is involved in your life, calling you to himself. So repentance, and finally, faith. He calls his people, and his people are known as people of faith, We don't have time to go there this morning, but if you go to um, Hebrews chapter 11, you see a hall of faith there in those passages, that God is creating himself a people. And we're going to see, starting in chapter 12, that the main um, issue that, uh, uh, that creates this family is based upon faith in God, looking to him ultimately as their father. We see this in the life of Noah. We'll see this in Abraham. And if you walk through that in chapter 11 of Hebrews, you see that this is what the author of Hebrews was mentioning. That This is a, a spiritual progeny, not a physical progeny. And for those of you who are in Christ, you realize that this is what the Lord has done in you. That you find yourself closer to your Christian brethren than sometimes your own flesh and blood. Because what, what God has done in creating a people for himself people that know Christ and are making him known. And so repentance and faith, that we're called to look to him. But what does it mean to look to him in faith? It's not just believing in God. We know that ultimately the point uh, of scripture, the, the apex, if you will, is to look upon the person of the son of God, that God himself identifies with every tribe, tongue, and nation. And how do we know that? Well, the climax of the Bible is that he became flesh. He dwelt among us. He knows what it's like to be human. He knows what it's like to be you and in your sin and your depravity. And he's calling you out and he's saying, follow me. I will be your sacrifice. I will reconcile you to the father and I will give you a new family and I will make you whole. And that offer is to all who will come to him in faith and repentance. And the beauty of that is through that he's creating a new people that ultimately that progeny will come from this generation of believers. I don't know if that excites you, but it's exciting to be a Christian because you see the influence of sharing the gospel has on each successive generation. And it doesn't happen unless we share it. I think it's awesome to see how God brings spiritual children and grandchildren through the lives of believers. You probably heard of how Billy Graham came to know the Lord and then those, the countless thousands that he's shared the gospel with. But maybe it hits more close to home. Who is it that shared the gospel with you? Who is it that shared the person that shared the gospel with you? Who shared the gospel with them? I thank God for how he works in ways to bring about his purposes. And so there should be another excitement as an application to this seemingly boring genealogy here in Genesis chapter 10 that God is going to create spiritual progeny out of your life as you invest to the glory of God with the gifts he's given you to spread the gospel. There's countless hundreds of thousands of people that may be in Your spiritual family in the future because of how God used and reconciled you to Himself and used you for His heavenly purposes. But also be encouraged, parents, that God calls us in this sense to be fruitful and multiply. But don't just look at the human side. Disciple your children ultimately with a a sense of discipling them to new birth in Christ. That growing up in a Christian family doesn't save you. That they need the gospel just as well. And so you children hear me out. That just because your parents are, are believers doesn't immediately make you a believer. That you're to look to him in repentance and faith as well. And so the beauty of God's story goes on as we approach this generation. What is it that God is going to do through us? What missionaries is he going to raise up? What pastors is he going to raise up to the next generation? What uh, missionaries uh, that are going to go to places um, and, and serve as medical missionaries or as, as uh, frontier missions and Bible translators and all the things that are needed to take the gospel to the next generation? It's going to happen through our generation. It happened through the last. And so God has a beautiful plan because he is to be adored and he is to be magnified and he is to be celebrated, and he chooses to include us, and he saved us. And so rejoice in such a genealogy, because God is revealing himself through this passage. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Genesis, the beginnings of not just mankind, but The seed of your gospel, as you said in chapter 3, verse 15, that a seed would be raised up out of Eve that would crush Satan's head, the deceiver of the nations, and ultimately you would be triumphant, and your people would be triumphant. And Lord, so as we look at this, help us to not just look at Genesis as a textbook, But we thank you for history because it causes us to consider our own lives. It causes us to consider how we are part of a mosaic of humanity. And while we seem small and insignificant in the context of all of the history of mankind, you're certainly working your purposes and your providence in our progeny in our day. Oh God, give us attention to spiritual things. And while you gave attention to the physical things, you didn't leave us there. You're going to take us into chapter 12 where we see Abraham believing you and it being accounted to him as righteousness. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning that feels lost, that feels like their life doesn't make any sense, that you would encourage them from a passage like this, that you are able to take out of the mass of humanity, a people for yourself, that you care for us individually, that you provide for us. In fact, you are the one that gave us life. We are your idea. We are your display. But Lord, even more beautiful is that you give a new creation, that you create a people for yourself because you have desired to make yourself known. Help us to turn from our sin to follow you. Lord, I pray for uh, one that may have never trusted you that this morning would be that day. I pray for us as believers that are struggling to see how we fit into um, all the, the, the history of mankind, that you would remind us that we play an important role in our generation, that you would help us to have wisdom that we might not waste our lives, but use them for your gospel. That That could provide quite a change for us, Lord. Perhaps that we are called to pick up and go where you're sending us. Perhaps you're calling missionaries. Perhaps you're calling a young person to commit their lives to the, the mission of the gospel. Father, we lift these things to you because they are far too numerous for us to even imagine or think about, but we know that you're able to do it because your word is powerful and your spirit is powerful. And so God, we ask that you would cement this genealogy in our mind to encourage us in times of discouragement that you are working your plan through our progeny. In Jesus' name, amen.